Welcome to the UFTA Podcast. Hosted by Emily O'Connor and Jordan Rudolph. The UFTA Podcast brings you a surprisingly fresh take on everyday topics in health, fitness, and everything in between. We want to open the door to explore new information and new solutions in a way that's easy for you to understand and apply to your own life. Let's get into today's episode. Just to confirm, episode five, thank you guys so much again for tuning in, all the feedback uh, on last week's episode and all the previous episodes. Uh, we are glad that you are enjoying listening to them as much as we are enjoying recording them. Yes, and we are going to try and keep them, our, our goal is to kind of do like 45 to 50 minutes as we've gotten into episodes two, three, and four, and now five, we've gotten a little bit longer with each episode, but coincidentally, everyone's saying they're getting better and better. So I'm not sure what that means yet, but we have a lot of stuff in store for you today. Uh, as you are hearing this, I will be uh, flying home from a weekend in Oceanside, California, and spending the entire weekend with Titleist Performance Institute. Um, if you've been following along with the show, it is my kind of last uh, phase of, of what I can do with them on the fitness side of things. Um, so I'm super excited. All the big dogs will be there. All the head guys, uh, the fitness advisory board, the Greg and Dave, the founders, the owners, uh, Robert Yang, like all the big dogs will be there. So I'm really, really excited to uh, spend a weekend with that and bring back some knowledge and, and some ahas uh, for not only our golf people, uh, but for everybody in general. Um, and uh, sharing the knowledge with you guys, sharing the knowledge with Emily and the team. Yeah, I know you're pretty excited about that. We're excited for you to uh, to finish that up as well, and obviously enjoy California. Hopefully it's uh, a little bit warmer <laughs> than here. Uh. <laughs> it is a high of upper, upper 60s and a low of mid-50s, sun all the way through. And at least it's sunny. I suppose that's a, <laughs> that's a win, but even 60s is good. Uh, on deck today to kind of give you a preview of what's to come. We have our trending fitness topic. We are going to talk about HIT or high intensity interval training. Uh, we are going to touch on, on the nutrition side, a little bit on supplements, specifically why you should care about the source of your supplements and kind of where those come from and why that matters to you. Uh, and then finally, our main content for today, we are going to talk a little bit about health care versus sick care, uh, kind of diving into that realm uh, and where fitness and coaches can play a role in in that system as well. Yeah, so not quite a topic that's just going to flow right off the uh, right off the tongue and right off the same theme like last week, but still a topic that's very relevant and a topic that we think is very helpful for you and in your fitness journey. I agree. I agree. I think it's been a topic of conversation here at the gym, so I'm excited to bring it to the podcast format as well and maybe challenge your thinking and uh, cause you to make maybe different decisions, maybe the same decisions, but either way, make those decisions informed ones uh, as you move forward. Yeah, yeah. So let's dive in. Fitness topic, we're talking about high-intensity interval training, otherwise known as HIT. Correct. So when we say HIT, we are going to still refer back to high-intensity interval training. Mm -hmm. It is now, I think, being referred to a lot of places as just HIT, H-I-T, not H-I-I-T, just high-intensity training. Um, but there's the big thing we wanted to cover today, guys. Well, first, M, what, what is, what is high-intensity interval training? We'll, we'll do that first. Yeah, good call. So high-intensity interval training, as we will talk about it today, refers to periods of high-intensity work, right, as is dictated by those first two letters in the acronym, high-intensity work, followed by periods of low or zero-intensity rest. So by combining, and there's many different ways we can use, whether that's an RPE or rate of perceived exertion measure, we can use heart rate, we can use pace zones if we're working on some sort of uh, running or biking. There's many different ways that we can dictate what that high intensity interval is uh, and how we can measure that, so to speak. But the main premise is high intensity periods of work followed by low or zero intensity periods of full rest. So as we're talking about it today, that's what 
high intensity interval training is uh, and should be? The big thing there is high intensity work followed by rest so that you can perform high intensity work again. And I think the big thing that when Emily and I first were coming up with the trending fitness topics and I brought this up and she goes, ironically enough, Jordan, I have it written down too. We love high intensity interval training ourselves as coaches. We love programming it. Ironically enough, I would say, or sickly enough, we actually love doing it most of the time. Um, I love the intensity that it brings to me. I love that I know it's gonna be a short workout, uh, that I can bring my all, and I'm enabled, I'm enabling, I, I'm being enabled to work at like a max effort, near max effort during something. So what happens though is a lot of coaches, a lot of gyms that, well basically here's what happens. It's just not coaches and gyms. Unfortunately, it's coaches and gyms. But a lot of people are abusing high intensity interval training. They're actually not doing it correct. They're searching for that exhaustive state, that all out effort, that uh, depleted state, that drained feeling, um, and, and they're making that their entire workout, and they're doing that consecutively, and they're doing that numerous times a week, and that's not how high-intensity interval training is to be done. And the cool thing about high-intensity interval training, literally all the research, and I will remember to post some this time, I have, I have been asked to post the research that we're citing and that we're referring to on these <laughs> podcasts, and I was asked to put them on there. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's a great idea. This is back in like episode one or two. And we've literally talked about it. And last week we talked about the breathing one, the longevity one with the lung capacity. And I forgot to post the research. So I will post research articles on this. But high intensity interval training is more valuable long term through cardiovascular health, through, um, I don't even know the other areas right now, but like for fat loss, the body composition components, mitochondrial uh, production and, and, and increase uh, than traditional cardio or steady state cardio like we we know how valuable it is but people are abusing it by doing it for half an hour 45 minutes hour like if you do this right high intensity high intensity interval training only needs to go like maybe 6 to 15 6 to 20 minutes if it's programmed correctly maybe maybe a little bit more than 20 but if you do it right guys you only need to do like six minutes of it which is kind of cool this is where people are abusing it this is where i think emily and i are kind of like grind our gears a little bit a strong take if you will yeah um but it's it's it, it, as valuable as it is. It's one of those things that now we're 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 doing it the wrong way. Yeah, I think where people go wrong is either one of two places. Most common, they forget about the rest part of the whole thing, and it turns into just high intensity continuous training, and you're just burning at an all-out effort redlining. Which, since not many people or it, sometimes anyone should be working that hard for that long, what happens is you drop down below whatever that high intensity threshold is. So for example, I'm gonna use myself as an example, I've been doing sprint intervals in an effort to improve my running power in my trail running off season. So in my sprint intervals, I work up to a heart rate zone five uh, over, usually that'll happen within about 20 seconds. And then I rest to a heart rate zone two in a five zone model. So up to a maximum intensity. Now, if I were to do that without letting my heart rate come down, I would not be able to maintain that heart rate zone five, inevitably slowing down, dropping into like a zone four, somewhere in there, right? And that gets messy because we enter like that gray zone of we feel like we're working really hard and doing a lot, but we're not accomplishing anything at all. It's except not, for working hard. Except for working hard, right. It's nothing like we can't then, we're not working hard enough to attain the outcomes that we want to see from the high intensity interval training itself, but we're not working easy enough to recover from whatever we did yesterday. We're just in this gray zone where you're not really accomplishing the end goal of what HIT would be. So the ability to work up to a high interval and then fully rest back down is inherently where that hit comes into play uh, and and what makes it hit and where people kind of go wrong with missing out or decreasing that rest to a point where you're not actually resting. The other part is people just don't work up to the high enough intensity, right? Which can then lead you into the same trap. 
Yeah, if you do high intensity interval training correctly, you shouldn't be able to continuously work without rest. That's that's kind of the, the way that you can judge it, not those zones that Emily was referring to earlier. And sometimes it's just interval training, not, necessar not necessarily high intensity interval training uh, when, when you go through things too. And I think that might be some of the confusion as well. Like they're, they're, the people will do interval training, but they want to say they're doing high intensity interval training and going through it. But again, doing it right, what Emily just said is what we usually see going wrong and kind of abused in a way. And the other part of it is uh, if you do it the correct way, you, you necessarily shouldn't be able to just do multiple sets of it in a row. Like you should need rest um, and you should want the rest. And, and, and it should almost feel like the rest is either uh, kind of like a blessing or it should feel like, oh my gosh, like that wasn't enough rest and I have to go again based on the parameters, right? Not not, not necessarily like, oh, that was a quick rest. Now I got to go to the next thing and get it done as fast as possible. So uh, what are some, and the other part of this too, guys, is not everything that's hard is necessarily good for you either, right? So working that hardest that you can work within a given amount of time or whatever it is that you're doing for your interval doesn't necessarily mean that that's the way that things are, are good. You could get some results out of it and everything will work until it's done, it doesn't, right? Coach Ryan this morning said on the floor, we were talking about a, a program out there called 74 Strong, where basically you do two workouts a day, there's rucking, there's running, there's workouts, there's strength, there's intervals, there's cardio and, and no alcohol, and it's like eating paleo like straight to the T. And when you get done with it, like you probably feel better, but was it worth those 74 days? Like, I don't know, right? And, and then you don't really get anything for it right? But you could feel better. Your body could be totally revamped. There's a lot of physiological things that could happen, but that's really, really hard for people to do. So, and, and that's where he kind of brought up like, yeah, if, if you're doing something that hard, it doesn't always make, means it's good for you either. And, and, and it's true. And, and sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't, but the high intensity inter interval training is a very good thing if you can do it correctly. And we can do it in multiple different ways, right? There's not one specific implement or machine that you need to do it. You can do it through multiple different ways. You can do it with just your, with just your legs and doing sprints. But uh, what are some, what are some protocols? Would you say that like we use even the ones here? Like what are your favorite ones that you like to do? Or we I mean what are what are some protocols that people can actually do to follow um, some of these? maybe true hit true hit yeah Workouts. kind of tools tools for them to kind of work on and actually accomplish yeah i think i think there's a a few different ones you can do from a like general standpoint we can standardize the work time and then rest so if you do have the ability to measure a heart rate or let's say we don't because that's not as common right so let's say you don't have a heart rate monitor um, say we work, which, which is probably the most efficient way. Sorry to cut which, you off. Right. That's good. Go tra tra tracking your heart rate, not through a Fitbit yeah. or through a activity tracker, but through an actual heart rate monitor, yep. chest strap, chest strap, preferably that is the best way to do high intensity interval training because you can actually see your heart rate and where you're supposed to be in those zones and when you need to rest and you can actually base it off of heart rate monitoring, which is the ultimately the best way to do high intensity interval training. Correct. Yeah. So if you have access to that or the ability to get that, if high intensity interval training is something you want to pursue, highly recommend it. Um, that's what I use to, to measure my uh, rest intervals, not necessarily my work intervals. So looking at right now, one of the protocols is a standard work with that variable rest down to a set heart rate, or if we don't have a heart rate, down to a rate of perceived exertion level. So say we're working for 20 seconds, right? Or 15, 20 seconds, anywhere within that kind of range. So a short, high intensity work interval, uh, and then recovering back down to a set heart rate, a set rate of perceived exertion. So in this case, we might work up to a 20 seconds, which might bring us to a rate of perceived exertion of about an eight or nine out of 10. And then we'll rest or recover until we reach maybe a six or seven out of 10. So in other words, kind of that ability to not hold a conversation during that work interval, like you shouldn't be able to talk to your neighbor while you're doing it. But then as you recover down to that level where, yeah, I can hold that conversation again. Um, and we can do that for a set work time. We can also do that for a variable work time and work 
as long as we need to to get up to that 8, 9 out of 10. Now that one can be tricky. It can turn into just simply interval training, but to strive to get there as short of a time as possible would be the ultimate goal. So we then have a variable work and we would then rest down uh, for however long it takes to be able to hold a conversation or a lower zone heart rate. Again, that would kind of be dependent on you um, in terms of how low zone you want to be in, whether that is a zone one or zone two. Our third option would be a set, uh, or excuse me, a variable work time up to that eight, nine out of 10, however long that takes, goal would be to get there as fast as possible with that set rest time on the other end. So one way we do this uh, at the gym would be to do something like an Airdyne 10 cal interval where the time to get there may vary, but you're trying to get there as fast as possible with a strict minute and a half, two minutes, two and a half minutes rest on the other end before you have to repeat that work interval again. Um, so that's another way to do that. And we use, again, the Airdyne with the 10 calories to measure, uh, to give that an end distance, but that could be a heart rate zone, that could be, again, that rate of perceived exertion, kind of something there uh, as a variable time metric, but then a strict rest on the opposite side of that. So those are three different types and you can use different types of parameters of time on either the work or the rest to help accomplish that need or a heart rate monitor. And you can do different sets and different programs for it. But those are ultimately the, the styles that we that we ultimately like to use. A lot of, again, what you traditionally would think would be high intensity interval training would be just a traditional circuit training or a, a traditional interval training, which can then go 30-30. You know, we can still do fixed times um, and it can still be kind of perceived as such, but oftentimes it's not quite into that realm. It's close, but not quite. And uh, there could be volume-based ones where if somebody wanted to do, like let's say we had somebody doing a five-minute jog or a five-minute run or a five-minute, uh, you know, some sort of exercise, right? Like five, five minutes of exercises, and then we can have them rest for five minutes. Like there's, there, there's, there's kind of volume-based ones if we want to stretch it out. But the, you know, since we like to uh, cite very, you know, official research here, uh, High-intensity interval training is a training protocol alternating short periods of intense or explosive anaerobic exercise with brief recovery periods until the point of exhaustion, which thereby relies on the anaerobic energy releasing system almost maximally. And that comes from a high-quality source called Wikipedia. So I'll make sure I tag that for everybody in there that's worried about my sources. Um, but that gives you the general definition more of the more of the more of the actual definition rather than the general one that Emily and I gave you. I think the big thing is to know why I highlighted that anaerobic system yeah. is basically that you're almost going near all out during your working period where your body relies on what's called the anaerobic pathways, which is the breaking down of glucose which is stored in your muscles without the use of oxygen. Right? So that's when you know that's when you know it's it's intense because we're not really using uh, our oxygen pathways um, to to produce our, our our stamina, our power, our output, our, our energy uh, for our fuel. Oxygen will be used to a certain point, and then when you get too intense, it flips over anaerobically to glucose, which is called the R. Is it the R R ratio? The R quotient? What's that called? R quotient? I think it's the R quotient. I think that's right. Yeah. It's about 0.8 for for a good stem of people when you need to actually go through like a VO2 max test to find this. So better athletes will be higher than 0.8, worse athletes in, in this case would be less than 0.8, right? If you flip over the, the glycolytic pathways sooner, your, your, your cardiovascular health is not as good, right? For athletes speaking. Um, but that's kind of the big thing is, is uh, the anaerobic and aerobic pathways. Aerobic is more of that cardio-based type of thing. You can go longer but you can't go as hard, but you can last longer. The workouts can be longer. That's circuit training. High intensity interval training goes to that glycolytic pathways, the anaerobic pathways, which is more intense, which you, you, you can't go as long because you don't have as much of that available and you need more rest time to perform it at that high levels. Just think about if you were to try and sprint as fast as you can 100 meters, how many times can you sprint as fast as you can 100 meters without going slower? 
right? How much rest do you need in between that? That is a quick example of high intensity interval training, okay? And, and, and you could do one of those parameters, those methods that Emily said earlier, where you sprint your, your fixed distance, but that varied rest can just matter. It, it can change for each one depending on how you're doing. And you can stop your, your training when your interval, your 100 meter sprint on whatever set gets slower, right? That means that your body's starting to break down and, or maybe you didn't rest long enough and, and you can kind of track things differently. But mm-hmm. I think the big thing is that high intensity interval training, we wanted to clear up that air a little bit because sometimes when we tell people like, hey, you're on your high intensity interval piece, like we want you to go and we need that all out effort from you. You need that all out effort from you. But if you're doing interval training, we know that there's different levels to kind of go through and fix and, and get everything else like that. But when it's time for that true high intensity, like that's when we need that max effort so that you can supply yourself with that that quality rest. Yeah, I think you touch on an important point there where like there are different types of interval training and continuous high intensity training and all things like that. But just recognizing like, okay, am I doing high intensity interval training and making sure that it is actually high intensity interval training so you're getting the benefits that you want to see versus thinking you're doing high intensity interval training actually doing just interval training which is good too and can hold its place too but doesn't give you the same kind of outcome as a traditional high intensity interval training would so being mindful of where you fall on the spectrum and if you are working with a coach know that if they say high intensity interval training there's a very specific or should be a very specific use of those words versus just hey here are your intervals or here's your interval interval training for the day so there's very again both are good but they are different so being able to recognize that and realize that is important 100 and 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 hopefully this clears it up like we've just Mm -hmm. talked about it for 15 16 minutes already and we want to talk about this because it's valuable. There is so much good for high intensity interval training, but when it's done correctly and and you can get more value out of it. And I'm not trying to take away from the the work. I probably feel like I am. I'm not taking away from the quality work that you're doing in the gym, but there's a different style of training that maybe you think you are doing, but you haven't even tapped into yet that you could do that. You don't even have to go to the gym and spend an hour there. You could spend 15 minutes there and get the quality work and the coolest thing about it, if you do it right, you're burning calories well beyond the end of the workout called EPOC, excess post-oxygen consumption. It's the oxygen that your body then needs to bring in to help restore all of its pathways, even though you're doing anaerobically, uh, to then rev up your metabolism in that case and long-term, which could last up to 48 hours after your workout, shows to be a little bit more uh, prevalent in males than females, but neither here or there in this conversation. Regardless, you can burn more calories post-workout if you do it correctly. Yeah, I yes to all of that. I don't know if there's anything I would add uh, to our discussion. Good? Yeah, all good. All right, moving on uh, in a not-so-graceful segue into our nutrition uh, segment where we're talking about supplements. Again, specifically why you should care about the source of your supplements uh, and, and why that should matter to you when choosing supplements do you want to take it away yeah i think the big thing is i would love to um (laughs) the big thing about supplements is that they are not regulated through the fda the the federal drug and um what is it federal drug administration administration yeah administration i was going to say federal drugs and alcohol food and drug administration food and drug administration there we go and they're not regulated. They, that means that basically what's on the back of your labels on supplements doesn't have to be true at all. And it, it, there, there could be different ingredients in each one that you buy and they don't have to, they don't have to pass any tests, anything like, else like that. Now there are governing bodies that have taken certain supplements and have given them their stamp of approval. Like WADA and NSF, which are basically used for Olympians and college athletes. And those are the ones that obviously we like best because they have high protocol uh, guidelines, whatever you want to say, that these these supplements have to pass and uh, be approved by for these athletes to take without being too aggressive on their body, harmful on their body, XYZ. So supplements in terms of performance side and health side all fall under this umbrella. And 
that's where we think doing your research and doing your due diligence to find out a little bit more about these supplements can be very helpful for you and not always just kind of finding the quickest, cheapest thing out there because it might not even be the, the thing that you want it to be anyway. I agree. I think sometimes that when we go to buy supplements, uh, there can be often a like sticker shock, if you will, and you're like, oh, why am I going to pay $25 for a vitamin? But when we look at it, we want to make sure whatever money we invest, first of all, it's depending on what supplement you're getting. If you live in a northern state and you don't get exposed to vitamin D and you spend $20 on a vitamin D supplement, I would argue that's an amazing $20 spent, right? Mm -hmm. So depending on which supplement you're choosing. But that being said, regardless of the money you invest, whether say you had one for $20 and one for five, if the one for five isn't able to be absorbed, isn't able to be utilized, and you don't get any benefit from it, you're essentially just throwing that money into something also potentially consuming a supplement that has unregulated ingredients that can have other impact in your overall health. So being able to invest a little bit more money into something that is a little bit higher quality, but you know contains the ingredients that it has listed on the bottle, doesn't contain things that aren't listed on the bottle, and you'll be able to then utilize, it's bioavailable, that your body's able to absorb it, is perhaps one of the most important things that you can look for when choosing a supplement Um, and knowing that the company that you're purchasing from is reputable is known for the transparency in their labeling and those types of things becomes crucial um, and albeit often overlooked because the supplement industry is like you said unregulated and wildly overwhelming if you're just diving into it for the first time yeah i think it's grown from when I first joined the, the fitness industry 10 years ago, and I think it was like five or six, seven billion dollars a year to now it's over 23 or 24 billion dollars a year. And a lot more science behind it, a lot more growth behind it, but people are also looking for the quick fix. So there's a lot of different avenues and obviously being unregulated basically opens up an entire door of like, let's let's all get in this game and make this make this ourselves. You You touched on a lot of good stuff there, but one of the ones that I liked was the how do you like you were talking about the 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 integrity of the Mm -hmm. supplement and I think if you the big thing now is like a lot of new supplements coming out and this is hard for me to say it in the right way because again they don't have to be truthful in what they tell you in anything on there um, is that they are getting better at making better supplements people are getting better at making better supplements because they know they need to be better because now they know people are more educated and, and they need to make better quality products, better quality supplements for us. So a lot of the new ones coming out are trying to step their, their game up. They, they're trying to make better ones. They're trying to, to have more bioavailable, the, the, the words that Emily used earlier, um, more integrity behind them. And the best way to probably find out which ones is to, you can look for the ones that are WADA approved or NSF approved. Um, third party research will probably be one of your better bets just maybe have to dive in a little bit more to see if that third party was paid by the overall umbrella company that that paid them to say like yeah test ours and make sure it looks good and and, and only do a bias testing but that's why i like nsf and wada because they they have a governing body themselves that they actually will just take everybody through and do it so national sports federation and then the world anti-doping drug agency i think is wada mm-hmm. so that's those are two ones if they're wada approved or nsf approved probably in pretty good shape and there's stuff from GNC. There's stuff from um, the what's the what's the uh, big market, the grocery store, um, Whole, Foods. Whole Foods. There's some from Whole Foods that wouldn't be allowed for professional sports, right? That, those things will come up. So uh, just do your due diligence in some of that. This whole part of this is why we ended up making our own supplement line and partnering with Art out in Rhode Island to help us with. Uh, creating our own health supplements so that we knew exactly what was in there, bioavailability, the integrity behind everything, and and going through those. Um, it's exactly why I didn't want to go through any performance-based ones because there's too much crap out there, and plus I didn't want to keep up with all of it. Like, I'll, I'll follow the research when it comes out too, right? But 
we that's why we made our own we we wanted to get away from the mess and having people not wonder about when they go to the store they go to whole foods or walmart or target or gnc and they see five different kinds of multivitamins and then there's 10 different kinds of multivitamins plus something which one do i buy Mm -hmm. we just we just wanted to get the best of the best and we just made it ourselves right and i i think that's a big benefit to again obviously unity has the privilege of being able to like formulate our own and have our own available but knowing kind of where they come from and doing the research on the supplement itself and also the research on the company like Jordan said do they have third-party testing of their supplements what supplements are they selling Um, all of those types of things who are the people that started the company why did they start it all of those things can be like a factor in the supplements themselves and making sure that those are both quality supplements and something that's beneficial for you to be taking, not something that you don't necessarily need, right? A lot of times we can invest money in all these supplements, but making sure that we're having those big rocks, the, you know, drinking enough water, managing stress, getting enough sleep, all of those big rocks come first. And if those aren't all dialed in, eating enough protein, getting enough veggies, right? If those aren't all dialed in, a supplement isn't necessarily going to help regardless of the quality of the supplement it is. So noting that we need to have those big rocks, but then as we're looking into that supplementation, making sure that that third-party testing, that all of that quality in the supplement is there in the company that makes the supplement, all of that becomes exceptionally important as you move forward. The big thing there is to remember that supplements are there to supplement, right? They are there to fill the gaps that you can't quite get all on your own. They are not there to be the gap, right? Or, or to block the gap. They, they fill the gap that you are trying to complete on your own. They are there to supplement everything. And like Emily just said right there, figure out your big rocks first. The best nighttime sleep supplement in the world won't really help you if you don't have a great nighttime routine, right? Or if you don't sleep in the dark, or if you don't have your room at 60, what is it, 67 or less? Is that what it is? 67 or less, yeah. 67 degrees or less, and have it blacked out as much as you can, and uh, have a fan. Like, those type of things, like, if you don't have a nighttime routine, that it, it won't help you as much. It won't it might not even help you at all. You might just think it is, which is 80% of the supplement game anyway. If I'm taking something and I think it's helping me, that happens, eight, the placebo effect, the nocebo effect, right? the that's that's half the supplement game anyway well 80 percent, so more than half but that that's what they're banking on anyway right they're they're thinking that so there there's a little bit of a twisty game going on there but emily nailed it on the head there we can't say it enough they're they're there to fill the gaps of the nutrition or the habits that you can't quite complete on your own if you struggle with with fruits and vegetables and getting enough in each day that's where a multivitamin is a phenomenal phenomenal thing to supplement to have if you don't get outside a lot or if you live in an area that doesn't have a lot of sun, vitamin D, which we think, I think, is the next super, super vitamin, super, super drug, super supplement. Like, I think it's something that everyone's going to be taking more and more of uh, just for its benefits all the way across the board. And if you have questions on supplements, let us know. We, we, we work with that in our nutrition consult. So for members that are listening to this, let us know if you want to help fill the gap somewhere. Uh, we have our own supplements here from the Unity Fitness side of things. And then we are also a uh, Prestige Labs affiliate uh, gym sponsored gym so we can get you 40% off uh, prestige labs if you go to prestigelabs.com they are performance-based supplements that are used for professional athletes uh, professionals and Olympians so we we partnered with them last summer been very happy with them um, and everything that they're doing they just got to keep some of their stuff in stock a little better so if they're listening prestige labs it's a call out uh, but I understand we are in weird times right now we, right. I'll, I'll take a pink lemonade flavor over blue raspberry uh, when I know that people can't get their straws or cups or lids at certain stores and, and uh, just the times the times have changed but we've been really happy with them and so we can get you 40% off those if you want to talk and if you're not a member here we can still set up a, a one time nutrition consult or ongoing nutrition consults to help you without those two and, and we'll give you some deals for, for being a partner with the, for the Unity Fitness System yeah, I think, um, like you said, I mean, you pretty much nailed it there in terms of look into the companies that mm-hmm. you are purchasing from. Make sure you're purchasing the quality supplements and kind of filling those gaps with them uh, instead of relying on them too much. Yeah, yeah. So another 
not so graceful segue into our, yes. our last one. Yes, the main topic. Main topic: healthcare versus sick care. Healthcare versus sick care. The one, Aaron. I know you're listening to this, Erin. Sorry, Erin. We have two Aarons, A. A. Ron and Erin. Erin, here, here we go. It took us five episodes, but we're here. And the the long story short, guys, is we feel in the professional gym setting, the professional gym world, when it's done correctly, we feel we are healthcare. We feel we are the future of healthcare. We feel like there should be a shift in the near future that should recognize gyms as more of a uh, an essential business, more of a more of a proactive uh, health business. Because when we think about it, when you go to the hospital, you're usually not going to the hospital when you're healthy, right? You have your follow-ups, but you're usually going there when you're sick. So they're taking care of you when you're sick. They're not really healthcare in that sense. So if we flip that paradigm shift a little bit, the healthcare is what we're kind of doing to keep us healthy and to make sure that we're staying healthy. And and we feel that's again biased, but that's what a gym is. That's what we do here as as coaches. Yeah, I think that speaks to a big reason both you and I got into fitness in the first place and one of our core values here at Unity being proactive versus reactive and gyms can play into that proactive side whereas when we go to the the hospital we might already be sick we might not be feeling good uh, and that's where we get the care for that but if we can be a little bit more proactive with our health kind of tying it back into our health uh, fitness is not just aesthetics when we can tie it back into overall health and we can train for health and a coach can help guide you there and be on that proactive side, gyms really take on a whole different meaning than the current view of just a gym. Uh, just and, aesthetics. And aesthetics. Just aesthetics, right? Or just a coach, just a personal trainer. It's quite the opposite where they can really make an impact on your life moving forward quality of life if you even have to utilize major services um, within kind of the traditional healthcare, as we're referring to it sick care uh, aspect and side of things like we've said before fitness is one of the only things out there if not the only thing out there that can help every other area of your life and one of the main areas is your mental health and your health, right? Your physical health. So whether it's through longevity, whether it's through blood markers, whether it's through blood pressure med, diabetes control, there's so many things that fitness and strength training can do to help with that. There, there, there needs to be a, a shift in, in how the insurance views us and maybe where some of the money's being allocated if we want to go that far uh, down the road. But it, it even spreads out beyond hospitals. It even goes to like chiropractor care and physical therapy care where they're, they're in the medical profession, right? They're in the healthcare field. And I think it comes down to where a quality fitness coach, personal trainer, strength and conditioning coach, whatever you want to call us, we call ourselves transformation coaches, where we're recognized as something that's valuable, essential, professional, where we can do what we're best at. And that's that fitness exercise nutrition side of things where then the physical therapist or the chiropractor or the doctor can do what they're best at they don't have to spend so much time addressing areas that they're that they're not experts in and and that's not me knocking on them they give valuable information from what they're educated in right so when your doctor's telling you something or the chiropractor's telling you something physical therapist telling you something they've probably had a little bit of education through exercise and fitness and sports science but they've got enough education to give you an answer but they're not the expert in that field and and i think if there's a little bit more of a conjunction a little bit more partnership a little bit more uh, value and, and again this is knocking personal trainers and fitness coaches strength and conditioning coaches guys we are in the same tax bracket as a hairdresser that is not knocking hairdressers i love you hairdressers and barbers and, and, and whatever you're, you call yourselves, but we, we are looked down upon by chiropractors, physical therapists, athletic trainers, doctors, because we are not accredited. We are not nationally accredited. We do not have to take some national accreditation that they do, some sort of board exam, if you will, to get accredited and get licensed. We just have to get certified of that. And I think if that comes together a little bit more, we get a little bit more respect, a little bit more value towards us, where then we can start really truly being held as healthcare and start focusing on that. And there are some hospitals and some organizations in the area. Um, you might not see a lot of them here in the Midwest, but they are happening 
that are starting to approve that and starting to go that route with personal trainers at the hospital and and going that route too. We actually have an, an old coach here works at works at a one of the hospitals here in town that's kind of going that route. Yeah, I think I think you touch on a big point there in that as coaches we have to be actively a part of that change and as we are talking to people not only, you know, we we aren't portraying the stereotypical trainer who might be what do you always say what are the personal trainers in the movies they're always the serial killer or the blockhead dumbass that dies first right we and we aren't that right so the more that we as coaches can communicate that the more that you listening to this podcast can potentially start to reframe how you might view a personal trainer a coach a gym in general, right? How can we utilize those tools and those services to transform your life in a way that isn't just aesthetics, that isn't just how much weight can I lift, right? How can we then utilize those tools? Does going to the gym, you know, make you less stressed, which then relates to a better, you know, family life at home? Does going out for a nice walk at the recommendation of a coach or a trainer allow you to engage with nature and have that little bit of time for yourself, right? So expanding your view beyond, oh, it's just the gym, like it's just the weights, it's just this, it's so much more, but oftentimes that's overlooked because the popular view of gyms, of coaches, of trainers is not necessarily what we think the current and future view of that gym will be within the healthcare versus sick care system. Yeah. The piece of that too is is that as we it's it's that view like like Emily said a global view it's it's we're we're very surrounded here in the US in western medicine. And that is that is basically what you know it is as, right? The hospital will fix everything. If you go to a surgeon and you tell me you have knee pain, the surgeon's the surgeon's an expert in surgery. Why would they refer to anything else besides what they're an expert in? They're going to tell you we're going to do surgery. If you go to a if you go to an orthopedic surgeon right on something that's hurt, regardless of if it's if it's if it's actually needed or not, why the surgeon will say no, you don't need it or yes, like you need right. it, right? Well, <laughs> but, that's their zone of genius, right? 100%. Just what you're talking before. 100%. So, what this what this other pathway could be is what if your knee is sore or hurting because you have a an immobile dysfunctional hip um, and a pelvis with a foot drop and a pronated foot that then has put more pressure on the knee and sure you might have a little bit more of a maybe you have some meniscus or maybe you have some less space in the knee a little bit more of, uh, of the cartilage gone and, and there could be some pain from that but what if it was fixable by eastern medicine ish mm-hmm. Stuff and I don't even know if it's considered Eastern medicine by what we do. It's kind it's of like non traditional. Non traditional, yes, non traditional would be the word there. Where okay, let's go get some therapy. Let's get that hip functional again. Let's get the glute firing. Let's get that foot strong again and and creating creating a stable arch and restoring pelvic balance through physical therapy, chiropractor work, and fitness routine and exercise routine. Right, like like physical therapists are now in our area. You're seeing you're seeing it more and more in the lacrosse area. But again, it's happening worldwide. It's happening all over in the bigger cities. They're leaving the hospital and starting their own practices of cash-based operations, kind of like chiropractors would work uh, work as to uh, kind of go this non-traditional route to to avoid some of that medical system uh, riffraff, if you will, so that they can kind of get a little bit more proactive on that side of things too. Like there there's change coming. But I do think it starts, like I, I, I've said this before in another podcast, I think a lot of this starts from the bottom, which is, in our case, Emily, you and I. Yeah. Like it starts with us. us. So when the fitness coach gets better and there's a there's a new line of fitness coaches getting better, like really, really good, loving what they do and wanting to change the world, it will have to make other fitness coaches get better or get the hell out of the way or it'll have to make the physical therapists and the chiropractors, the athletic trainers, the doctors better. And with the world more available now with education than it ever has before with social media and how easy it is to, quote-unquote, learn something, maybe not educate, but learn something, 
people are getting more educated. They're learning more where we have to be better. We have to keep up with that and be better. And, and, and I think it starts with us. If we keep getting better, everybody else will have to get better so that they can just focus on what they're actually the expert in. We shouldn't have to have a physical therapist, in this case, work on somebody's hip external rotation unless it's joint restrictive and, and intra-joint mm-hmm. where we can handle that, where then the physical therapist can then just do the needling, the soft tissue manipulation, the joint manipulation stuff that they, they he or she can do to help our job be better, to help the person as a whole. Right. And I think that's when, I mean, we've said this as a team, like everyone functions best within their zone of genius, mm-hmm. right? Like that's what you like to do. That's what you are, you know, very invested in, very educated in. And I think the more that we can utilize and maximize each person, each cog in this wheel, if you will, in within their zone of genius. So is it the, you know, it, do you need surgery? Is it the surgeon doing theirs? Like I certainly couldn't perform surgery, even though I've seen every episode of Grey's Anatomy 16 times, right? I, in no way am I qualified, but I know that the surgeon is more than capable of handling that. Is it the physical therapist who their zone of genius is the hands-on manipulation, is the joint restriction, is the release? And then, you know, you have the chiropractor who fills in the gaps potentially more at like a spine level or even a whole body level. Again, working a little bit more joint specific there, hands-on, manual. And then you have the coach who fills in, you know, once we're released from some of those things, if you do have surgery or pre-surgery, hey, let's get you strong. Like that's where the coach can come in and fill the gaps of that area as well. So I think utilizing each person in their zone of genius will not only benefit the whole system, but will benefit the individual who's accessing the system in the first place. 1,000% couldn't have said it better, exactly what we would like to have happen. The system, the team uh, around the person needs to change rather than having the system kind of force itself on the person, right? We still need to treat the person and help the person as a whole. We said that back in whatever episode, right? We need to treat Mm -hmm. the person as a whole. Uh, four episodes ago, I can't remember. I don't know. But um, <laughs> that, that's that's the biggest thing, and we can work as a team. Like, we work with physical therapists in the area. We work with physiotherapists. We work with several chiropractors. We've worked with surgeons before. We are getting people ready for their surgery, their hip, their knee, uh, their shoulder, whatever it is, and then we see them when they come back, and we want to make sure that they're in good shape. And guess what? Every time that the person's put in the work with us and the physical therapist or chiropractor pre-surgery, they have come back better post-surgery than they're supposed to. Right? They, 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 they get back faster, they get back stronger, X, Y, Z, they go into the surgery better, they recover faster, all of those things. So we can, we can help team up with that and we believe that's the way, like Unity originally stood for bridging the gap of health and fitness, right? We wanted, like the thing that I wanted 10 years ago or seven years ago when we started this, eight years ago when we first had the idea of Unity was bridging that gap of health and fitness and helping those people have somewhere to go beyond the hospital we're working with the hospital to do it because we love our surgeons, we love our chiropractors, we love our physical therapists, but a lot of times we feel like their their time sometimes is wasted by somebody who who doesn't need to be spent there doing certain things that that we think we can handle, and and I think that that that'll continue to go uh, in a direction that we choose to make make it from from our standpoint, Emily and I like very very so much so like unity standpoint, but also hopefully the the industry can change a little bit more on that end too. Yeah, exactly. Like utilizing the services, again, for what they are, not unnecessarily accessing some of those services where there might be someone else that can do a better job mm-hmm. um, for you. Yeah, sometimes we need the cortisone shots. Sometimes mm-hmm. we need the uh, the injections. Sometimes we need the surgeries. Like right. we want them to be there for when we need them. We just don't want them to be the only option. Right. We want them to be a team approach to helping the individual. And we feel the future of healthcare is still with us. Like we, and the other part of this too is if we're if the team works together like it should and like it does, like we've done it before with many professionals around here. We as the coaches see the people a lot more than the doctor, than the physical mm-hmm. therapist, than the chiropractor. Like we see people up to five times a week, so right. we have a lot of touch points. We have a lot of communication with that person. That's something that's very valuable in terms of the person's progression and development towards whatever it is they're going towards. Like we see them and communicate them with them often you don't get that luxury with physical therapists chiropractors and and doctors unless you're paying for it oftentimes right so there there's a big power that the that the coach the trainer has that might not be available the other ones just because of proximity or frequency of visits and everything else too agreed agreed yeah you might only see someone a few times a year but the more 
kind of touch points you can have with someone that is in your corner. And I'm speaking to you as like someone who might be going through an injury or wants to improve health uh, overall. Like the more touch points you can have with potentially a third party, the better off that outcome often is, right? The more invested you are in the outcome, the more as opposed to, for example, you see your primary care provider say every six months for, or every year for your um, annual annual checkup and things like that, right? You only, might only see them once a year, maybe you need a follow-up for blood work or something like that. But if you have someone four times a week that you know you're gonna see that also is invested in your health, also is invested in your general well-being, that can be such a powerful tool for you as you move forward in life. Not gonna say anything else because I can't say it better. No, <laughs> I don't know. I don't have anything else to add either. That's no. That's it's a different take on it, guys. Right? There's a different take on the healthcare versus sick care and what it could be, uh, what we think it will be. We we do think the future holds us as the future of healthcare. Like we truly, I do, I truly believe that. I'm one hundred thousand percent on board with that's that's what I feel, and I felt like that for a long time. I, and now I just become more and more biased. The more I work with people, the more biased I become because the more I see how powerful fitness is and working on themselves is uh, prior to having to wait for something come up, right? And, and it's not saying that just be by exercising and, and doing things that nothing will happen either. Mm-hmm. Like we know that there's there's things that will yeah, happen. That's, yeah, that's just utilizing within their zone of genius, yeah. right? Like we need everyone we in this system to work. We yes. can't, like we're not saying... We're here to replace all of the people. No. I don't want to do that. You no. don't want no. to do that. But recognizing the role that each of those people play and yeah. having all of them work together as that cohesive team is, like as Jordan said, we believe is the, the future of healthcare. It is. It is. Cool. I think we got it. I think we got it. Yeah, that's all I got. Guys, as always, ladies, as always, thank you for listening. I know we've had some new listeners each and every week, so we're very happy to hear that. I think we're at like 300 downloads now, something like that. So we're, we're super excited off of just the even prior to this fifth episode releasing. We're already at like 300, and that's just downloads. That's not even the streaming side of things. I can't quite figure those analytics out yet, but I'll keep looking. I think as we go, more and more will populate. So it it, it says easier. it does take time. Yeah, it does take time. So we're excited to see what's out there with what the UFTA podcast will venture into, but this isn't possible without your help, without your listening, without your feedback. So please give us that feedback. Please rate and subscribe us. If we're not doing a good job, please let us know. Like I think the best development and the best, the best results that I've ever done in my life is figure out that I'm not doing something well. So uh, I, I, I love hearing the good stuff, but I, I, I need to hear the bad stuff too. Right. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. So. All right. Well, cool. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening again for the, to the UFTA podcast, episode number five. We hope that we're surprising you with some knowledge to make a better decision uh, for solutions on your end. And again, if you'd like to hear anything from us in the future on what topics to cover, anything like that, please reach out, comment, text, uh, message, post, whatever you need to to let us know. We're more than happy to bring uh, ideas to the show. Thanks for tuning in. We will catch you guys in next week's episode. Bye, everybody. Cheers.